0: You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject coming up for your listening pleasure is Chris David. He's the bassist in Majestica and the catalyst for the conversation with Chris is a Christmas carol. I love Christmas and Majestica have done a Christmas album in their own inimitable style. We talk about a bunch of other things. In fact, I talk for so long that I spoke right up until Chris was due to participate in another interview. So you'll hear that right at the end. If you're wondering why the conversation just ends abruptly, here he is, Chris David from Majestica. Good evening. Hello, mates.
1: How how's things going? Oh it's going good how are, how are you doing Good I'm I'm surviving uh we've just we've just had a a tropical monsoon come through where I am so it's still um if the call cuts in and out you'll know why it's because of that we uh this time of year mate for us in Queensland it tends to be pretty hairy with these sorts of tropical uh storms that tend to sort of knock out power and do a lot of damage and stuff mate but for right now we're doing good <laughs> Oh, okay, really? Yeah, well, here it's been the same weather for three months now. Exactly the same every day, I think. (laughs) What country are you from again, mate? Sorry, I should know this. Sweden, isn't it? Sweden, Yeah, it's Sweden. Sweden, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so that means it's it's just, you know, gray and raining all along. Yeah, gray and raining, yeah. Look, you know, my forebears. Uh, given my surname are clearly from Ireland and, and Scotland and uh, you guys being from Sweden you can kind of understand why so many of it, your forebears or you know extended relatives let's call them that 100 200 years ago or so left those parts of the world and moved to sunnier climates like in the United States and in Australia. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know but you guys stayed and you stuck it out and I'm, I'm glad you did because I've long said this and I'm going to share this with you I think Sweden per head per capita is responsible for the greatest hard rock and heavy metal music in the world. There's just so many great bands, and I'm writing a, a book at the moment, and, and it's you literally can't throw a stick into a crowd of Swedish people without hitting a world-class musician. Uh, it's, uh, I guess, yeah, that's about right, I guess. I I, I think <laughs> Finland is pretty, it's doing very well with the metal music as well. <laughs> Finland as well, but they just don't have the same rep that Sweden has. Of course, Norway's got their, their, their black metal scene with uh, Satyricon, Mayhem, and so many other bands, Immortal. But with Sweden, all the way from Opeth to You Guys to At The Gates to In Flames to Avertarium, just and all of those bands that I've just mentioned are still going and releasing incredibly strong music, as are You Guys. So whatever's been going on up there for God knows how long, please do keep it going because heavy metal fans rely on Swedish people to continue to deliver the goods. <laughs>
2: oh, that's some nice words.
1: <laughs> <Thanks>.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, Sweden has actually, I think Sweden is doing pretty well in music in general. It's not just metal. We are pretty good at, you know, delivering all styles of music with all super big artists we have.
1: Yeah, I think Tiesto, I think, was Swedish, wasn't he? Um, and uh, ABBA, of course, were huge in Australia. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that Australia was the first territory for yeah. ABBA outside of outside of Sweden. So we tend to adopt a lot of Swedish acts. Oh, yeah, it might be right. And we also have, uh, you know, Avicii was from Sweden. Avicii, that's the one. Sorry, Tiesto, not Tiesto, but Avicii. Yeah, I know, a lot of house music comes from up that way. It's just something with you guys and music. Uh, you know, I wonder how many great composers, you know, like the Mozarts and the Barks of the world, weren't discovered, or applying their trade in Stockholm back in the fifteen hundreds and the sixteen hundreds. It could have been discovered if they were, if Sweden had a bit more of a, uh, a bit more attention, like what Germany, France, and Austria had.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It could be. maybe it would have been would have been as many as
1: them. I don't know. <laughs>
2: would yeah, be fun to know. Highly likely.
1: Yeah, hi- highly likely. You know, and, and, and talking about classical music, I think you guys have done a great job here with the Christmas carol. And I, I love the fact that you've honoured this magical time of the year because I think Christmas is still so special to so many of us. Because, look, we're living in an era where so much of our shared Judeo-Christian and European traditions, they're, they're coming under attack by these psychopaths and the media. They're intent on reinventing history and demonising what so many of us hold here, which is basically all European history. And I I just love the fact that you guys have done this. You're spreading the word. You're actually spreading the cheer. You know, The videos are great. The songs are on point. Your song selection is is fantastic, by the way. But apart from it just being about Christmas and what you guys are doing here with Christmas, was there a specific uh, catalyst for you guys that made you guys decide to do the Christmas tribute? Uh,
2: yeah. yeah. Well, I, g- I guess there was, you know, because um, uh, the story actually started. Well, the story of the how we figured this out was started last Christmas uh, when we uh, created a one-minute cover of All I Want for Christmas Is You for fun, put it mm-hmm. on Facebook, and it was just like, you know, just for fun, to, to make something special around Christmas. Uh, And then uh, everyone seemed to like it so much and everyone wrote to us, So you need to make a Christmas album, you need to do this and this and this, you know. Uh, But we thought like that's maybe sometime in the future. Uh, And then, you know, 2020 started uh, with lots of shows. We were in Japan with Mediastica. I played with another band doing an opening tour uh, for Mm -hmm. Dragon Force with a band called Athanasia and Tommy was up with Sabaton and all that stuff. And then uh, when it all died... We came to think about this, like, what, what should we do now? Should we start working on the follow-up to our debut album, about the Sky, or uh, what should we do? And then mm. this whole idea came around with the Christmas, the recognizable Christmas melodies in our own music. Uh, and then we thought, like, you know, this is the right time because this year is a tough one for everyone. Uh, you know, pe- maybe people will celebrate Christmas by themselves. It's, they, You know, it's the right time to make something uh, out of out of your box really you know that mm. you can really do whatever you want with and uh, so it was basically the the whole covid situation that started this idea that we you know this is the right year to make something like this happen because and, and also a lot of other bands are playing or recording new music this year but they are doing their follow up records so we were like this is going to be a standout record because no it's not no one is going to do the same thing that we are doing really uh, and especially then with christmas because christmas is yeah as you say it's a It's a family tradition in many parts of the world and you're usually celebrating it with all your family and friends and all that stuff, but you probably can't this year. So I think it was a very important decision to make an album like
1: this exactly this year. Yeah, good choice too, uh, the songs I mean, because it's not a, a covers album in the traditional sense because you have made each song your own. So two questions for you. So how did you choose which songs that you wanted to cover because you haven't gone the, the, the usual route of Oh Come All Ye Faithful uh, or even an alternative route with something like The Pogues, A Fairy Tale of New York. You, you picked songs that I think are well-known but they're not the most well-known songs if you know what I'm saying. So how did you pick each song and then also how did you go about constructing them and putting putting them together in this wonderful, majestic style?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a... It's a bit, I don't know really how it, it all came about <laughs> It went so quick this uh, this whole thing because you know we had such a short amount of time to finish the album uh, at all because the whole idea started in May. Um, but I think we the first thing that happened was just that we had this idea that we should make one song basically uh, a Christmas song with you know mm-hmm. majestic style power metal with the recognizable melodies, and then we kind of kind of looked up basically what is kind of public domain melodies uh, that we can uh-huh. you know, rewrite the lyrics for and rewrite the, the structure, maybe, you know, make something that is in major, go to minor instead and all that stuff. So we kind of looked over what, what is available out there that is public domain really. And, uh, you probably don't even know this, but some of the, the stuff on the album is also just in Sweden. It's, it's uh, a old traditional Swedish, uh,
1: uh-huh.
2: okay. melodies. So, There's even more than just the regular English ones that you might recognize in there. Um, So, when we figured out what we had, uh, we kind of, uh, to start with, at least we had a few ones, we started writing music. And because Tommy is the main songwriter, so he's like sending demos back and forth. And we other guys, we add ideas or maybe send, you know, another melody like this is going to work better here or you should rewrite this in this way and stuff like that. And so he kind of started working, and I think I had, I, I think I wrote a little melody on a guitar that I thought, like, hey, you know, this sounds like Christmas. What do you think? Like, mm. uh, So I sent it from the phone, just, just, you know, recording it with a video on an acoustic guitar, and like, hey, this sounds like Christmas to me. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, it really does feel like a Christmas uh, theme, which is actually the the melody of A Christmas Has Come on the album. Uh, and then when that happened, he was like, "Yeah, this melody works pretty cool with uh, this Christmas melody that we have." Uh, and I go, oh, "Okay, yeah." And uh, So he put it together, and then it just went from there. Basically, we made a riff, and then something that suited the riff, we put it there. Or you know, maybe we played it in a in a certain key that we could actually put another melody on top of the guitars uh, that it's, we are singing in a, a certain. Carol on top of that, so we put them in a certain key that would work together with the melody
1: and stuff like that. you've done a great job. All of you have done a magnificent job so did was this something that the band as a collective could organize amongst yourselves and then literally just go into a studio and press record, or did you need to bring in a you know like a George Martin type and the Beatles where you had some ideas, but you weren't quite sure how to put them all together, so you had to bring in someone like a well maybe a john paul John Paul Jones type. Someone who, who truly understands uh, how to marry rock music and metal with the classical elements.
2: No, we it's it's all done by ourselves. Uh, we even recorded it by ourselves. I built the studio we recorded it in. We just because there was so much time pressure. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the whole thing we had uh, so what happened is that I rented a big house out in the middle of nowhere that I knew We could stay for at least uh, 10 days uh, all of us and be there to just record Uh, And I'm you know, I'm working as well as a sound engineer sometimes So I had all the gear and I could rent all the gear that was needed to build a studio uh, in Mm -hmm. this house So I set up a studio there the other guys came there and we had the demos basically ready when we went in and we just started recording Um, And then some ideas, of course, evolved in the studio. But we were, most of the stuff was already done. But the whole situation that happened here is that we, when we decided to do this, was actually in the beginning of August. That was when the the final decision was taken that we are going to do it together with YouTube. And yeah, and that they told us, you know, you guys had three weeks to finish it up. And we were like, okay, they're still missing a couple of songs. So we don't even have all the songs written. And we also need to mix this album. So we said, we need four weeks. So we have one week for mixing as well. And then we, I rented the house and Tommy started writing the, the last pieces of the music. And I figured out the whole recording session so I could record the drums and do all that stuff. Uh, so we kind of had to collaboratively make everything work in as short amount as possible of time that we could do it. Uh, So no one was in there, no one said anything, it was just the band, there's no one else, there's no producers, there's nothing really. It's just one guy helping us out with the mixing.
1: Yeah, well that's an amazing accomplishment and congratulations on that, Chris, because that's, mate, what I am hearing, it sounds like as though it's been done by a team of expert producers and arrangers and composers to help you guys do it. So, like you're saying, mate, with all of the expertise necessary to put together something like what you've done on the Christmas Carol within the band... Mate, for you guys, the sky is the limit. Then, and and doing it so quickly within August, I feel like I know you guys have been around since two thousand and seven or eight, and you used to be called Rainseed or what have you. But, mate, with that work ethic and with the ability to do something like what you've got here so quickly, I reckon the sky's the limit for you guys after this.
2: Yeah, probably. <laughs> well the only thing we know that the next time we're going to have some more days in the studio than there's 10 days (laughs) because it was it
1: was intense (laughs) what what did you do at the end of it did you just throw a little party amongst yourselves or you all bought bought in bottles of champagne and jack daniels and got pretty drunk and went well we did it lads (laughs) (laughs) no actually not because
2: yeah it was so so much that had to happen during this week because we didn't have an artwork we didn't have Band for it. we didn't have anything. It all had to be done and delivered uh, to Nuclear Blast after four weeks. So what happened really is that that uh, when the last couple of days came, the other guys went away. It was just me and Tommy still at the studio because we had to finish up and put all the tracks together and make it all right for the guy who was mixing. So we had to organize the you know the songs, the projects because uh, it's been so intense and we had so we had to work on different computers basically at the same time to to mm-hmm. fix it all together. Uh, So we put it all together and then uh, I think we had two minutes or something like that to when he was supposed to start mixing and that's when he got the files. And then I had uh, another 30 minutes until I had to be at work. So I just went to work and that's about it. We had to go straight to another work from when we were off the studio and we didn't actually actually sleep at all the last night to be able to make it happen. So I didn't sleep, you know, for two days. And to finish the album uh, after the studio session was done. Mm. And then I went to work, and then I had to work out the booklet, because I did the design the booklet of the album as well uh, when we had the artwork. Uh, so I had to figure out to make a booklet in the week at the same time as the guy who did the mixing was working with that. And after that, we don't live close to each other, so we couldn't get together until when we were doing the videos and actually, when we were releasing the record last week, that's when we had a champagne. We had a party on Thursday night at
1: 12 o'clock when they, it was available on Spotify. That's when we opened the champagne bottle. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Yeah, I hope you did have a bit of a celebration. I, I think it is. I've made this point a few few times on my podcast, Chris, but I think it's very important that bands are doing what you guys are doing for some of the reasons that I mentioned up top because we we do have a tradition. Uh, in the western world and this is one of them Christmas is, is a big one of them and for you guys it's even more significant now I thought it was a great album when I listened to it and I've listened to it a couple of times in the car especially it sounds great through speakers in the car because I think you've mixed it very well by the way so is another compliment but just under that kind of pressure and then delivering it because a lot of people just wouldn't bother a lot of bands would say fuck it I couldn't be bothered doing this uh, there's, there's no point it sounds like it's too hard so have you, have you guys got another album of originals material ready to go, so to speak? So not so much in the can, but songs that are written or sketches for songs, and can fans, given your tremendous work ethic, can fans look forward to an originals album sometime within the next sort of 6 to 12 months?
2: Uh, <laughs> no, probably not. Well, we, we had a lot of demos, actually, if we follow up to Above the Sky, when this album came about. We actually had, I think, eight demos already. So of course we have uh, material for another one, but it's not going to happen so soon.
1: It's like a wrist, yeah. That's like a wrist, yeah. That's
2: right.
1: Above the sky. Yeah, yeah. because we're
2: also, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're also running the uh, as an advent calendar with movies, uh, like a a short uh, video every day for like one minute, like a small music musical video that is like playing the actual story as a musical uh, with, you know, lots of actors. We are also acting, but we have 25 other actors with us as well. Mm -hmm. This is running all the way to Christmas, so I'm still basically working every day to finish up all the videos, because they're not even done, because, you know, it's been so much time pressure and everything that we are still not even done with the whole campaign yet. Uh, So there's still a lot of work to be done, so I I think we're going to have a little break and then we're going to figure out what happens after the album, because this album has been getting uh, so much attention and so much great reviews and all that stuff that we don't know if we, maybe we want to, you know, continue working on some concept thing again in maybe not next year, but you know, in
1: two years or something. So uh, do will see one
2: what
1: I'd love to see you guys do an Easter one. Of course, not this coming Easter because it's only five months away, but, but for next, next round, mate, I'd love to see you guys tackle that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it could be something like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't put it past you. You've clearly got the firepower, firepower to be able to do something like that. And are, are you still... Let me ask you this. Last time we had a conversation that was uh, prior to the release of Above the Sky, and you gave me this cool story that actually got a bit of a pop, actually. I noticed a lot of people read my article. Uh, on your Lackland, you, you swapped a, a Music Man bass out for your Lackland. So here's the question. Are you still lo- using the Lackland?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's the same bass on this album as well. <laughs> 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 that, I, I think I, I've almost recorded all the albums I've ever recorded on that bass, actually, on my Blue Lake Land. But I have another one that is black these days as well, you know. I think I had one uh, the last time around as well. But is, it, is this the Blue Lake Land that it's been using again? Yes. Okay, and uh, uh, I think uh, it's been... Uh, there's one song on the album where I'm... Because I have this, you know, the hip-shot detuner uh, that I'm... To retuning the bass, you know, from E. To drop sure, e, I've got one or, too. I know, I I know are, them. I rely on mine. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, but I think there's one song on this album where I changed the tuning
1: like five times.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's got to be done, I suppose, given the vast, uh, vast scope that you're trying to do here. So, yeah, that's that's great. So, have you? I know you're doing a lot of the videos because I've seen. Uh, the ones that you put up, of course, I subscribe to you guys and to uh, Nuclear Blast as well. Are you, so you're doing them, from the sounds of things. So are you using Premiere Pro and the Adobe software to put it all together?
2: Uh, no, I'm mostly using Final Cut Pro, actually. Uh, um, yeah, that would be the uh, other one. Because me and Tommy are running... Uh, and Tommy, he's a PC guy, so he's using... Uh, I think he's using... Uh-huh. Premiere Pro or Vegas, Sony Vegas? Is that yeah, Sony Vegas? Maybe he's using
0: it, sure. he's doing yeah, I'm, some videos
1: as well. Yeah, I know. I use Premiere Premiere Pro a lot. I've just finished uni, I just got my journalism qualifications. So I had to do a lot of stuff on Premiere Pro, and I still use it. And I find that it's incredibly user friendly, provided you've got enough RAM. I had to upgrade my RAM on my Mac to like eighty gig or whatever just to handle everything. You know what I mean? Otherwise, if you're uh, trying to run multiple programs adobe programs it just grinds to a halt if you've got anything less than about 20. So that was my only limitation with it all but I, I do um, you know rugby rugby union I do a lot of videos for rugby and uh okay cover rugby. Cool, cool. yeah I do a lot a lot of sport that sort of thing if ever I was going to get into uh typical media it would definitely be sport I wouldn't cover news because it's all bullshit these days but uh sport I love doing a lot of um a, a lot of videos for that but um of course, we haven't been able to do a lot of that lately because there hasn't been uh, a lot of com- competition around you to COVID, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I do actually have Premiere Pro as well. I actually pay for it. And my plan for this video is because I like Premiere. I've, I've used After Effects a lot before. Mm. Um, so I'll, I wanted to use Premiere Pro uh, on this album, but, or, or for the videos now. But the thing was that I've been using Final Cut for a few years. And um, with, with, with the time being so short, I had to work with something that I really knew because I started working in Premiere Pro. and I was like, where the fuck is this button? Where, where, why can't I find this stuff? Why, like, how do I work with this program at the moment? Oh no, this is, I don't have time for this. I need to go with something I know really good at the moment. So I had to go back to Final Cut. But I, I, my plan is to start using Premiere Pro again because I, I really like it when, it's, when, it's, uh, when you can work with Premiere Pro together with After Effects and you can create all really these crazy effects Uh, really easy between those programs
1: absolutely yeah you got to stick with it to your point there yeah it took me a couple of months to, to i've never used a program like this before i must confess outside of youtube's native one or the thing on the phone which doesn't count or the um iMovie which which is which is just entry level you know like kids use that but premiere pro once you discover all of the plugins and as i say you've got enough ram to be able to handle everything that you want to do the sky's the limit you know the amount of just weird, unusual shit that you can do is um, is, is actually mind-blowing. It just doesn't seem like it's got... Like, it seems to me, Premiere Pro, and I, I haven't used a lot of Final Cut, but I'm sure it's the same, but I'll say both of them. As much time as you've got to devote, you still heaps to learn, so you can always keep refining your videos, which, which is a, a problem in one respect because you look back on videos that you did, say, eight months ago, and you think, oh, my God, they're amateur compared to the stuff I'm now doing. Do you, do you find that? I mean, your videos are a great quality, but do you find when you look back on some of the videos that you did earlier in your career and go, oh, God, I wouldn't do it like that now? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. I think I think sometimes even when
2: I, you know, work on a video and it maybe because like a music video, when I, when it can take a few days to make one to, to mm. actually do the editing. So maybe if you're working for a whole week, like I did with Joy of Christmas, like when I came to the end of the video, I, I started working on a completely other way, so I had to like redo the first part of the video, because <laughs> I was like, this is much better than the other part. So it it can even happen in a video that you figure out something new stuff, and that's what's that's what's so insane with all these uh, editing software, and and also like with Photoshop and all that stuff. That you can, it's you know you can learn and learn and learn, and you still not even know fifty percent of the actual program. It's
1: crazy. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm a, I'm a, an author these days, so I'm writing books. And I find that that even happens like it's a, it's a different um, topic, if you like, meaning writing than it is, say, approaching things with a tech where you need some technical now such as Adobe and uh, the other programs. But I find that I will write, say I'll write 1,000 words or longer, say it might be five or 6,000 words. By the end of it, I'll have captured the voice that I was attempting at the beginning, but i will finally got it about halfway through, and almost have to go back and rewrite the first half. So I think it's—I think it's a problem that us creative types have. I guess so, because you—you're you, more creative during the whole
2: process, like the whole creating process. You're creative, so it everything evolves during during the actual process as well. That's—I guess that's how you make
1: you uh, make it as good as possible, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, mate. Look, I better make this my last question because no doubt you've got another call coming through on the sick. but um, it's probably too early to, to discuss live performances and the like, but is, is there anything even on the the far horizon for you guys in terms of touring and performing?
2: Yeah, we have some of the, the re- rescheduled dates from this year because we had, a, you know, some of the big some festivals that were supposed to be this, this year, and they were all got uh, got rescheduled to next year so those are on the horizon of course uh, but uh that's i guess the same for everyone no one knows if that those going to happen and at the moment i think it doesn't look too good for the summer at all but at least some some of the countries are available available to run them um and then i don't know like in the fall and winter time next year i can say we we have a lot of questions about touring but hmm. But, it, you know, it's it's so hard to figure out if it's going to be possible, and how we are going to put it all together with all other rescheduled areas around, you know, and uh, as we are also playing with other bands that also have rescheduled tours and they, the rescheduled tours get rescheduled. It, it's just such a mess. So it's it's really hard to know what's going to happen after the fall uh, with anything. And even if there is tours booked, are they going to be able to run if they are bigger than these shows or can we run smaller shows? It's, yeah, it's so hard to, to know. Uh, so I would just say that the following forward is just a mess at the moment. But there's also questions for Majestia to, to play live on tour. So hopefully we can at least do something. Uh, yeah, that would be massive demand you guys.
1: Yeah, and I noticed most of the tours that I'm seeing come into my inbox because of course I get, I get access to previews of tours that are about to be launched, not yet available to the public, but I can share this with you, mate, that I'll, most of the stuff that I'm getting tells me that bands are coming to Australia from November next year onwards. That's how far out they are. So they're actually booking tours by then in the hope that a vaccine's available and that borders will be uh, open and that bands can tour because we're, we're, I think we're COVID-free in Australia at the moment. I'm pretty sure we are. And all of our, all of our internal borders are open except for one. Western Australia is still closed, I think, that. There's nothing to stop Australian artists from putting on massive shows. It's just that there's restrictions on mass gatherings. Um, and, and nobody wants to do those stupid car, you know, those, those ones that they've been doing in the US where people have been sitting in their cars and watching bands. That just seems like a thought bubble. It should never have been that one there. Yeah, I, yeah. Think we're from, I think if we just wait, I got no know, like I watched the, the Lamb of God. Live performance that they did, and also the Suicide Silence one. I think both of those bands did a tremendous job with what they were doing there. They did like a it wasn't in a rehearsal room; it was on a proper stage, but it was a stage set, and they filmed it. and They had a bunch of these cameras going around, and yeah. it was far better than some bullshit YouTube video that that a lot of like you know like you see a lot of smaller bands sort of doing it. It didn't have that feel; it felt quality actually, and. Uh, I didn't, you know, I think they were asking fans to pay something of the equivalent of like four or five dollars US. So it wasn't a huge amount they were asking for, but that stuff has got to be used by date. And I just don't think people are going to want that for much longer. They're going to want to see bands like Majestic are out there, man. So I just, you know, I hope and I pray, man, that things go back to normal first and foremost, so that you guys can go back to doing what you do best, which is playing live, and also earning a living. And we as fans can get back out there and support you guys. Yeah, I hope so as
2: well. And yeah, as you say, I think the, the streaming thing is, you know, it's. I I think it's going to continue even after we can go back to normal but because it's a pretty cool way to reach new fans and stuff, reach countries you maybe not be able to go to. But, I mean, everything is still, everyone wants to be live. So I hope every just both for us and for the fans that we get back to normal very soon because it's, it's also very boring not to be out playing, I think,
1: you know. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, most of your year would be full of touring, or the prospect of touring at very least, right up to this point. So when you're used to being in airplanes and in airports and on coaches and buses and backstage areas and like, you probably get acclimatized to that. That's your workplace, and all of a sudden you don't have that. So you, you see, you're sort of thinking, well, what the fuck do I do with
2: myself? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you make a Christmas record. That's what you do. <laughs> I was gonna
1: say you haven't been one, one, thinking that lately. That's a bloody sure, but <laughs> maybe you haven't been thinking that at all. <laughs> maybe that's coming next year for you, unless they can tour. But uh, yeah, yeah. But look, mate, congratulations on what you've done done here. You know, I'm very impressed by it, and and I'm so glad that you said that people are giving you great feedback, and there's a lot of there's a lot of hype around it because I think you deserve it. I think the quality's there. Yeah, oh. You know, so uh, you just yeah. sometimes you get sick of all this pop and urban music and just this bullshit getting all of the attention, like that Cardi B song about vaginas. That's that's aimed at yeah. like eight-year-old girls. It's man, it's sick. It's disgusting shit. And I'm no prude either. I love beautiful women. Don't get me wrong, man. But that's not real. That's not gonna. Yeah, I, not,
2: know, I, I yeah. hate that. I hate that shit. I I, just don't, I I don't get it at all. And I, you know, I'm working out of school. Sometimes, you know, I see all these kids go around and sing those songs, and I'm like. You're just, you know, you're just eight year old and you you're singing this song that is, you know, I would not even say those words sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're it's like a right? horrible. It's horrible. It's I don't I don't get it at all. I I don't get how society became a shit place like that really.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm with you. Hey, look, when I was a kid, I distinctly remember it being in the newspaper because I, I still loved Deer Side, but I loved Deer Side in the '90s when I was growing up. And I distinctly remember there was a uh, a singer from a, a famous Australian band who I can't remember the name of now, but like they're an old doo woppy fifties and sixties style band, you know, boring. It sounds like church music or what have you. But he was talking about how he banned kids from bring, bringing Deerside and Cannibal Corpse records into his uh, into his school. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah. even at the time, like how in Germany's a big case. They banned Cannibal Corpse or out records, I think, not from performing. They'd certainly ban them from performing some songs, I remember that. But isn't it interesting that songs like that, which are effective, bands like that, which are effectively the equivalent of musical horror, like, you know, you've got a horror movie, this is like horror music, meaning it's not real, it's just for entertainment. But this other shit, this urban stuff that talks about all these grossly and overly, set, like, lyrics that, like, I read and I'm like, who thinks up of this shit? And you know that it's kids yeah. that, are, that are listening to this crap, I think, man, we fucking got our priorities wrong. I mean, DS Side and Cannibal Corpse haven't got a patch on these bands, these artists.
2: No, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't I think this whole conversation that has been going for so many years about music and metal and all that stuff is just stupid because this new pop music is, you know, rap music and all that shit. It's just, what they are singing is, you know, horrible stuff. So, and people kind of like, well, that's okay. But singing about, I don't know, playing metal music is still, you know, shit for some people. But we don't even sing about anything that's actually bad or there's no, not, nothing bad at all about the music. But it's it still, people think it's, you know, horrible. But then you yeah. can sing all these shitty lyrics and stuff that you should never do in your whole life and all that stuff. And it's all fine to sing that when you're five years old these days. It's just, oh, no, it's,
1: it's stupid. It's stupid. Yeah. yeah, rock and metal is all... Like, the mainstream media just do not cover rock and metal. I think at the... the Grammys or one of those stupid award shows in the United States recently? And I think the best rock artists were... Was it Machine Gun Kelly and Miley Cyrus? <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> went, holy shit. When you got Majestica and I mentioned Suicide Silence and Lamb of God, when you got bands like you guys around, like, basically what Nuclear Blast are doing, I just love what Nuclear Blast are doing at the moment. Marcus and, and the team of yep. just the bands that they're signing. Just incredible music. I don't think we've lived at a better time if you're a heavy metal fan. There's just so much killer stuff. And it's yeah, ignored. It's by, yeah, but it But it, you guys get ignored by the mainstream media and it's just dumb. It's like there's no reason for it. No, exactly. I, I don't think we're getting a lot of attention in the
2: mainstream media, but I, do, we, I know we do have some interviews. Yeah. Uh,
1: but do they know what mm-hmm. they're talking about, though, or is, it, or is it very general?
2: No, they they barely know anything. They're not even interested, you know, but they have to maybe, uh, you know, at
1: least try to, to see what we are doing. Yeah, it must be, is it, do you sort of just go along with it or is it a bit frustrating when you have those interviews?
2: Uh, it can be a bit frustrating, yeah, because uh, it's like, you know, we are a band that have released two albums we have lots of views we have all this stuff and they can like look at you like you started playing music yesterday and who are you and it's like you know well i've played music my whole life and playing metal music my whole life and you know (laughs) i'm not i it's not like i learned my first guitar yesterday but that's how it sounds when you speak to them
1: yeah I, i get that thing where i don't look like a metal guy i look like a regular bloke you know Short hair, I wear glasses, all the rest of it, um, but occasionally people are surprised that i 've got such an interest and they see how involved I am particularly in extreme metal, because I do the interviews, all these interviews, and uh, I'm writing the book and and I, I often I often use it as an opportunity to explain to people that with heavy with heavy metal like you guys, I think is a ma- it could be mainstream. I think you guys could act absolutely cross over so there's that yeah, but when okay. it come, when it comes to extreme metal let 's talk about at the gates for a moment. I liken it to, like, you know how not every, not every day you eat, you eat like, um, chilli, ac- like, hot. I, food. You're right.
2: Yeah, I know. But, but sorry, but I actually have to go because I'm starting another interview.
0: That's it, ladies and gentlemen. The conversation ended because Chris had to jet off to another interview. I'd taken up far more time than what I was allocated, as I tend to do. I do it in good faith, though, because I just love having conversations with musicians. So my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series, and that interview subject was Chris David from the Swedish outfit Majestica. Hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening.